Hey, and welcome to the Scottsdale Podcast. We are currently in a series called, Did God Really Say? Enjoy the message. So good to have all of you here this morning in Scottsdale. Those of you watching online, inviting us into your home, thank you so much for giving us the privilege to join with you. We are going to celebrate next weekend a great time of celebrating the freedom that we have um, as uh, American citizens and freedom that we have as children of God in the kingdom of God. And we're going to have an old-fashioned picnic time of celebration. We want to encourage you to come, sign up, and be a part of that. Let me clarify one thing. We are having one service, but we're having one service in two locations. We're having a service here, and we're having a service in the Crosspoint Center. Live music, all aspects of live um, uh, music and engagement. The preaching will be streamed in live, so you can be here, or you can be in the Crosspoint Center. You can make your choice in that, and all those at the, nine, the 11 o'clock will probably find themselves either here or in the Crosspoint Center. It's going to be standing room only. I'm going to make sure that you take the opportunity to sign up for that. I want to give a shout-out to our children's ministry team and all the volunteers in the life of our church this week who did an incredible job with Vacation Bible School, 560 plus kids every single day. I showed up twice for a very brief moment and went back to the safety of my office. So it was a great time celebrating together. Um, You know, we live in a culture today that has gone crazy with the topic of love. I mean, love is everywhere. Love is in the air. Love has always been kind of a part of our culture. Matter of fact, it's been a part of every single culture that we can look at. And so when you look at the love, it finds its way in songs, in poetry, in stories, in music, all the things of our culture. We're always hearing about love. So I went online this week and I wanted to Google the top five movies, or actually the top ten movies of all time that's based upon the theme of romantic love. And I went to a number of sites, and these kind of are some of the top five that I want to show you. Some of you, you may be familiar with them. Some of you may not be familiar with them. So as I, as I went through online and looked at these, these are what came up. See if you don't recognize somebody. Number one is Casablanca. Casablanca. I have no idea what that movie's about. I've never seen it. The only thing, and some of you say, I've never heard of it. The only Casablanca I know is a coffee shop on Market Street. That's all you know. How many of you have ever seen the movie Casablanca? Okay, yeah, okay. How many people under the age of 40 has ever seen the movie Casablanca? <laughs> we got two right there, although romantics. Rick Ketchum, you're not, you're way under, over 40. Don't be sure you raise your hand like that. So, Casablanca. So, number one, Casablanca. Don't know what it is, but number two is Titanic. Titanic. You know the story, you know? These, this guy, this girl meets on this ship and they fall in love. The ship sinks. He dies. She survives. End of story. Wow. <laughs> Wonderful. And for those of you who have didn't see it, I, this spoiler alert, yeah, the Titanic sinks. Yeah, just want let to you, let you know about that. Okay, number three. Number three is an officer and a gentleman. Don't know who stars in it, don't care. But it's top five. How many of you have ever seen that movie? An Officer and a Gentleman, a little bit more. How many of you in the military that watched that? Yeah, okay, got a couple, yeah. So that's one of the top 10. All right, number four, I'm going really fast here, but The Notebook, The Notebook. How many of you have seen The Notebook? How many men have seen The Notebook? Okay, how many men at the end of it, you got something in your eye? It wasn't a tear. That's what I think of that movie. But anyway, it's top four of all of these movies, okay? All right, here's another one. 
ghost. I've got some major theological issues with this movie. Okay? I don't know what it's about. I've never seen it. Patrick Swayze, Demi Moore, Whoopi Goldberg, all of these characters in there. One of them has died, um, by the way, and you probably know that. And it would be insensitive for me to say that he's now a ghost. But um, he, this is one of those love stories. So these are the top five. And, and I'm looking at these, I'm thinking, come on, who puts these together? The number one movie of all time that should be on the list for a love story without any question, without any shadow of doubt, made in 1982, is The Princess Bride. That should be number one. If you've not seen The Princess Bride, I want to encourage you to get the movie and watch it. After all, the major line in it is wuv twu wuv. Is what wings us here today. Have you the wing? So I would encourage you to do that. So we go crazy with all this issue of love. But listen, it's not only in our movies, is it? It's in our music. It's in music. I tried to do the same thing. I wanted to Google the top musical songs about love, but it's all over the charts. You can't figure it out. I mean, you, you, you've got the Beatles, All You Need Is Love in 1967. Then you've got Whitney Houston, I Will Always Love You. Before that, it was Dolly Parton because she wrote the song. And then, and then you've got Tina Turner saying, what's love got to do with it anyway? <laughs> and then you've got Stephen Stills from Crosby, Stills, and Nash. His, his song is ridiculous. If you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with? <laughs> Talk about fidelity, isn't it? And so we're all over the place when it comes to love. And the reason is we're so confused when we talk about love in America. Why? There's one English word for love. And depending on the context that it's used in depends on what it means. It can mean all kinds of different things. Girl, I love that outfit. I love my four-wheel drive truck with the camouflage and the squat set on it. You know, <laughs> I love that. I love my dog. I put up with my cat, but I love my dog. <laughs> I love ice cream. I love you. I love the Lord with all my heart. You see, the context of how we use that word determines what it means. And we're living in a culture today that we're so confused about the whole topic of love. Matter of fact, there was a, a, a cereal manufacturer just recently that came out with a list of the ingredients for the cereal and they added love as one of the ingredients. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration rebuked them and wrote this letter to this cereal manufacturer. Your granola label lists the ingredients love. Love is not a common or usual name of an ingredient and is considered to be an intervening material because it's not part of the common or usual name of the ingredient. And the problem is we get so confused about what we mean with love. Now we're in this series called Did God Really Say? Did God really say? And we've been taking all the different statements of our culture and looking at what God's word has to say about it. And a lot of these statements sound good, but they're not found in the truth of God's word. Not at least in whole. And so here's where we've been. The last several weeks, we've been looking at some of these topics. And these are the ones we've covered. God just wants me to be happy. Half truth. God wants you to be happy, but God wants you to be holy. And the two go together. Follow your heart. Some of the worst advice you can ever give to any person. Because of the condition of the human heart. 
And then last week we looked at live your truth. Boy, talk about a dangerous instructional piece of advice to give to anybody. But today I want us to look at a phrase that is rising in popularity. You're hearing it all around. It's being inundated in our culture and even is finding its way in our schools for our elementary kids. And that new phrase is love is love. Love is love. Love is love. Love is a good thing. Love is a many splendid thing. And while it sounds really good, that statement in and of itself, without any understanding of depth or, under, or instruction, can be a dangerous thing. The statement, love is love, began as a hashtag in 2016. After the terrible massacre of a group of lesbian and gay men and women in a nightclub in Orlando, Florida called Pulse. At the end of that, the hashtag love is love began to surface. And that was to demonstrate that love among same-sex relationships and sexual desire and passion among same-sex relationships is something that should be seen as normative and natural and valuable. And then there's an organization that began out of that called Love is Love is Love. And that is a LGBTQ activist group that wants to inundate culture with normalizing sexual passions for those who may be lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or queer is what they call it, LGBTQ. And then since that time, there's been a number of embracing of this in culture and beginning just to say, wow, yes, love is love, is love, is love. Now the problem, as I said earlier, is that this can be a very dangerous statement. Let me give you three reasons why this is dangerous. Number one, love is love has no distinguishable parameters or boundaries for the expression of healthy love. There are no boundaries. There are no parameters when you look at this phrase in our culture. In other words, every single group that wants to express itself in some sexual way finds itself under the banner of love is love. Every single group. Now it can be um, a same-sex couple experiencing same-sex sex. And they find themselves under that banner. Now, some of you might say, now, wait a minute, Phil. Are you telling me that you can't, that people cannot express and experience same-sex love? Are you telling me that that is not viable? No, I would never tell you that. I would tell you this, that every single person in this room expresses same-sex love. Now, you might say, whoa, what are you saying? I love my son. And we're both males. And I love him in a genuine and authentic way. I love my son-in-law, Joe. He's a male. And I love him in a genuine, authentic way. I love my grandson, Hudson. And his growing. I love my two brothers, Dennis and David. Why didn't I get a D name? I just... <laughs> and I love those guys. There are men in this church that I love and would give my life for. That's same-sex love. But there's a difference between same-sex love and same-sex sex. There's the difference. 
And then what happens is, not only do we find that falling in this banner of love is love, but what about the man that cheats on his wife? He commits adultery. Well, you know what? I don't love her anymore, but I love this woman. Man, love is love. She belongs to me, and I'm free to follow my heart in that. What about the pedophiles who belong to the North American Man-Boy Love Association? which is a group of pedophiles who will take this same phrase and justify their own perverted sexual desires for little boys. What about the rapist? What about those who are sexual abusers? What about all the other perverted things? See, here's the danger, is there are no parameters or boundaries in a statement like that, and no matter what you feel is appropriate, because love is love. There's the first danger. Here's the second danger. Love is love reduces people to sexual desires and teaches children that lust has no limits and there is nothing as important as sexual um, passions. That, that's dangerous. Is that happening? It's happening even now. A guy by the name of Michael Ginhart wrote a book called Love is Love and it's written for preschool and, and um, 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 elementary school kids. And the whole book is talking about the, the, the value of expressing yourself in any way, and it's acceptable. So there are no boundaries for that. Here's the third reason. Love is love undermines and perverts God's intention for a healthy kind of love that honors him and benefits people. When you take a love without any boundaries, it perverts what God's designed for love. So here's what I want us to do today. I want us to look and see what does God say about love. God says a lot about love. Over 450 times in scripture we find him speaking of love. Depending on the translation that you use, it's about 450 times. And in that we find what God means when he talks about love. Now here's the struggle with our American culture. We have one word, as I said earlier, for love. But in the Greek there are four words for love. And if we understand these four words in the Greek language, it helps us to understand the heart of the Father when he's talking about love. What does it teach us? And what do we teach our children as parents, as grandparents? What do we teach culture? How do we walk through this, sl this slogan that can be very dangerous? What do we measure? Well, we need to look at the words in Greek. The first word is the most common word in the New Testament is phileo. It's a brotherly kind of love. It's a friendly kind of love. It's a love that we have between friends and brothers together. Okay? Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. The second word is storge. It's not used a whole lot in the New Testament, but it refers to a family kind of love. It's, it's a love within a family unit that you love one another, you respect one another. The third word is eros, which is a sensual kind of love. It is a sexual kind of love. And it refers to sexual passions and those kinds of things. And the last one is agape. Agape is God's love that seeks another person's highest good. Now, it means that it is always seeking the good of other people. Now, let me just say this. Of these four kinds of loves, these three here can be demonstrated in every human being. In fact, they are. They're demonstrated in every human being. We all have brotherly love. We can all have family love. We can all have this kind of sensual, sexual kind of love. But the thing that's unique about agape love 
is it's set apart from all of the other kinds of loves. It's God's kind of love. It's the kind of love that seeks another person's highest good. It's the kind of love that wants to mimic the character and the nature of God himself. And when a person lives with agape love, the phileo love raises to a new level. The storge love is one that understands not only biological connection, but spiritual connection. Agape love puts the parameters for our eros love and keeps them in check. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to look at what God says about love, and I want us to look at a passage in 1 John, towards the end of your New Testament. Take your Bibles or your devices, turn there. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. I'm going to go pretty quickly through this because we have a lot of material to cover this morning. But I also want to be sensitive because, listen to me, this is not a message just about same-sex attraction or same-sex sex. That's not what this is. This is a message of understanding God's heart for love. And what does he say about his nature and our nurture when it comes to love? 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Now, John writes this. And John is also the author of the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. So John was one whom the Lord Jesus loved in a healthy kind of way. And so John is writing, and one of the themes of all John's writings is light and love. But in this, he paints a picture of two very important truths that I want us to land on. Here's the first one as we begin. Agape love is grounded in the nature of God. When we talk about agape love, we're talking about it grounded in the very nature of God. Here's what John writes. He says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Everyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, here's what's very important about this. Every time John's speaking and using the word love, he's talking about agape love. He's talking about the Christian kind of love. The word agape was adopted in the Christian church to expressly demonstrate a Christian's kind of love. And it was used almost exclusively of the early church. Agape love represented the kind of love that those who have been transformed by Jesus display. And those who are living with an agape love and are seeking another person's highest good, the testament of their love for Jesus is how they love one another and how they love in this life. And so John says the agape love is talking about their relationship with God. Now he explains too the nature of God here. He says that love is from God. God is love. That's not to say that God loves. He does. But God's whole nature is love. His whole nature is this kind of agape love that's seeking the highest good for the people that he created. That's his heart. Everything he does is driven by this kind of love. His love is what drives his wisdom. His wisdom operates in agape love. His kindness, his righteousness, his justice, everything about God is grounded in this kind of love that seeks the other person's highest good. And therefore, because of that, this kind of love is from God. 
And so we see that love is the very nature of God. What does that mean? There are four things that we can talk about here. The first thing is God's love is holy. In 1 John 1, 5, he says God is light. In him, there's no darkness at all. God's love is always holy. It is never unjust. It's never unrighteous. It is always perfect and holy. God would never do anything unholy or unrighteous because of his love. And God cannot do that because that's his nature. So when we talk about this kind of love, it's always a righteous, holy love. Secondly, God's love is giving. In verse one nine, uh, four, chapter, chapter 4, verse 9, he puts it this way. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world. The love of God is always giving. God has always been giving. And the fact that he sent his son is a beautiful picture of his incredible love for all of humanity. Third, God's love is living. He says, so that we might live through him. And when he gave his son, he gave him for us that we might have life. And the love of God is always life-giving. Here's the fourth thing. God's love is forgiving. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That means this. He came to take our place, to satisfy the wrath of a holy God, so that you and I would be forgiven of our sins. That's the character of God's love. And every time we talk about love of God, we're talking within those parameters. God himself operates within parameters. He operates within limits. God would never do anything that's contrary to his holy and his perfect nature. And his nature is love. Now that's incredibly important as we look at our culture today. Because God's love never changes. God's love is always set based upon his nature and his character. And regardless of what our culture says, and regardless of the cultural shifts that may happen, God's love is always holy. It is always giving. It is always living. It is always forgiving. So there we see the nature of a holy God. But John teaches us something else. And this second thing is very important. Because if that's the nature of God, John also tells us that agape love is to be nurtured in our character. It's one thing to talk about the character of God, that he's holy and giving and living and forgiving. But you and I, as we live in this culture that is so confused about love, we are to nurture God's character of love in our own character. In other words, I'm to take what God says about love as a child of God, and I'm to implement it in my own life. And what does that look like? It's really interesting that four times in this passage, he tells us that we are to love one another. Here's how he says it in verses 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God if we love one another God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Four times. In verse 7, twice in verse 11, and one time in verse 21 of this chapter, he says, we are to love one another. What does that mean? We're not just to have feelings of love. We're to demonstrate the very nature of God to one another. I want to tell you, if there's any time that the church needs to mimic the love of God, it is today. We're living in a culture that is so divisive and so against one another. 
there's hatred all around. And, and, and rather than condemning the culture that's already condemned because of its sinfulness, we're called to love in the midst of a culture that doesn't even know what love is. We are to model this agape love in the lives of one another and in the lives of the people that we live around. So how are we to model this? How are we to love one another? Well, God gives us a beautiful picture through the Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. If you have your Bibles, turn there. This is where we're going to finish the rest of the day. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to look at verses 4 through 7. The Apostle Paul writes this beautiful picture, what we know as the love chapter. And the love chapter, a lot of times, is, is used in weddings. I've used them in weddings myself. But it wasn't written for the context of a marriage relationship. It wasn't written for weddings. It was written for daily living of those people who were seeking to nurture the character of God's love in their own lives. So as we're living in this culture, not only must I understand what God's nature is, and the parameters that he sets for love, I am to nurture those and build those within my life. And the Apostle Paul gives us a lot of pieces about this. Here's what he says. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Then he closes it with love will never fail. So there are 10 things here that you and I are to nurture in our lives as we seek to follow the nature of a holy God when it comes to love. These are not only going to be true of our married relationships or our family relationships, but our friends and the culture as well. So I want to give you these 10 things. I don't have much time left. Matter of fact, I've got 10 minutes left. So what I'm going to do is spend one minute on each one. So you ready? Here we go. Number one, agape love suffers long. It is patient. It suffers long. The word means having a, a, a long wick. It means this, that it, it is not short it's not explosive. It's not short-tempered. It's long-tempered. It has a long fuse. It doesn't ignite quickly. It means that you put up with people who do things or get in your way or interfere with you think is important. It's being patient with other people. It's being slow in our approach and our thoughts with other people. We have a hard time with that in our culture, don't we? Let's be honest. We go to eat, and the waitress is really slow, and she's not taking our order. And we become very impatient, and we say, wow, she won't get much of a tip. Well, you're on an airplane, there's a little baby crying behind you. And he is just screaming and screaming, and you're so inconvenienced. How dare these people put this child on this plane? Well, you're driving down Market Street, and there's a car in front of you that is confused and doesn't know which direction to go, and you're wanting to blow your horn and say, get off the highway. But what we don't know is the waitress has been working nine hours as a single mom to try to supply for her kids and is having a difficult day. The little baby crying behind us is on his way to Johns Hopkins 
because of cancer and treatment. And the lady that's on the road in front of us is an elderly lady who's confused, disoriented, and scared because she's lost her way. And that God is patient with us. Isn't he? Isn't, doesn't he put up with us? Doesn't the Lord Jesus put up with our weaknesses and our flaws and all of those kinds of things? And what it means, it says this, that we're not to be long-tempered. We're to be patient. We're to be long-tempered. We're to be patient with those around us. And when we live this, that's the nature of the Father. That this is how we are to live in the world. It suffers long. Secondly, agape love serves others. Agape love is kind. You know what's interesting about that word in the Greek? It means this. It, it refers to food. And you wouldn't think about kindness referred to food. Oh, that was such a kind meal that you made. It means that it's good for you and it's good to you. Where patience puts up with people who may not deserve it, kindness is giving things to people who may not deserve it. And so kindness is modeling the heart of the Father. Paul says this in Romans, it's been God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It is his own kindness towards us, and we don't deserve any of it, but kindness is always granting to people in front of you. I love it that one time I was in a fast food restaurant and a person cut me off, trying to get to the window first. I was so frustrated, and then I thought, you know what I'm going to do? No, I know the person cut me off and tried to cut me off, but I wouldn't let them because I stayed in front of them. I was going to say, huh, you wait your turn. When I got to the window, and they were just blowing the horn. They were screaming at me. They were giving me all kind of finger gestures and stuff like that. Um, I'm sure they, they meant well with it. But, uh. <laughs> so I told the lady, I said, I want to pay for their meal. You want to pay for their meal? Yeah, you know them? No, I don't know. I want to pay for their meal. I said, she said, okay. So I paid for their meal. And rather than leaving, I really wanted to just see what their <laughs> response would be. So I tucked myself in the corner over there, and I watched, and the lady got up there to pay. And I saw, and the lady looked around, and she went, oh. And then she saw me. I thought, oh, no. And she went, I'm sorry. <laughs> just like that. And, um, and that's kindness. Kindness is paying people what they don't deserve. And the Father has done that to us. Here's a third one. Agape love supports others. It's not envious. The word envious is jealous. You know what the word jealous wants? The, je the word jealous says, I either want what you have, because I want to be above you, or I don't want you to have what you have, so I can be above you. Where, where there is jealousy and love, one of those can only exist at a time. The other cannot exist next to it. There will either be love, or there will be jealousy. And it means this, you know what? I'm not going to be jealous of people. When a person on my job gets a promotion, wow, I'm going to praise with them. I'm going to rejoice with them. When their child makes the cheerleading squad and mine doesn't, I'm going to say congratulations. Wonderful. When they get the accolades, then I'm going to walk with them. I'm going to support them in what is happening in their lives rather than demonstrating jealousy and envy. You know, it's interesting. That the scripture says it was because of the envy of the religious leaders that Jesus was crucified. Their envy is what brought him to the cross. And yet the Lord Jesus went freely. So here's the fourth thing. 
Agape love is silent about its accomplishments. Agape love doesn't have to go and boast, doesn't have to brag. The word brag, you know what it means in the Greek? It means windbag. That's what brag means, windbag. Arrogant means puffed up. Have you ever met those people who are nothing but windbags and puffed up? All they want to do is talk about themselves. But agape love is always interested in other people. And not always have to say what I've accomplished. Chris and I were coming back from Louisiana just a couple of weeks ago. We stopped at a little coffee shop. She always does these Yelp things, and she found this little coffee shop. We walked in there, and it was kind of a mission coffee shop. And when we walked in, the guy comes up, and he introduces himself, and we start talking. And for the whole time that he was making our coffee, all he told us was how great he was and how he rescued this business and this college and started this ministry. And we, when I left the coffee shop, I told Chris, how has the world existed without him. <laughs> the whole thing was about himself. The only thing he said to me was, oh, are you retired from a pastorate? Am I retired? Come on, man. I'm in the throes of it. I got in a car. I said, Chris, we're really looking old. I drive to McDonald's last week and they give me a senior coffee and I didn't even order it. <laughs> I asked a little girl. I said, do I look senior? Well, you look more senior than you don't. So I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> Agape love is sensitive. Yeah, y'all go ahead and laugh at that, at my experience. Agape love is sensitive. It's not rude. It's not rude. Do you know what the word literally means in the Greek? Listen, it has manners. Boy, is there anything sorely missing in our culture today? Is this issue of manners? It means this. It's sensitive to other people. It's not rude. It's going, to, it's, it's going to respect people. It's going to put people at a place where, where, where they are honored. It's not this rudeness. It's not this lack of respect. And I see so much in our culture today of that. Let me tell you where it starts. Parents, it starts in your home. Teaching your children. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Thank you. Please. And teaching your kids to look people in the eye and demonstrate respect. Love is not rude. Love is sensitive to the needs of others. It doesn't cut people. It doesn't try to get ahead of people. It is always looking at their highest good. Number six, agape love is selfless. It does not insist on its own way. That means I don't have to be number one. Yesterday were the Olympic trials that were taking place and for the next Olympics in Tokyo that's going. Some of you may have been watching that. It reminded me immediately of something that took place in the 2000 Olympic trials. It was in the area of Taekwondo. There were two girls, Esther Kim and Kay Po. They were both the top in their Taekwondo fields and they were best friends and they've never competed against one another. But when they got to those Olympic trials, they had to compete against one another for the first time. But the problem was this, Kay Poe had been injured in the fight previously. And Esther Kim knew that she could easily beat her and go to the Olympic Games. But she knew Kay was the better fighter and the better athlete. So when they got on the mat, Esther Kim bowed and conceded and gave Kay the opportunity to go to the 2000 Olympics. Sounds like a fairy tale story. You know what happened with Kay at the Olympics? She lost first round. But <laughs> the demonstration 
is I'm going to give you, I kind of lost that, didn't I? Agape <laughs> love is self-controlled. It's not easily provoked. It's self-controlled. And the self-control means this. I'm not going to let you determine my actions. I'm going to live with the control of the Holy Spirit in my life. And that might mean getting in a debate with someone. That might mean speaking with someone. That might mean responding to people in an area that demonstrates self-control. Agape love suspends debts. That word means it doesn't take an account a wrong uh, account of wrong suffered. In other words, that's a, that's, a, that's a bookkeeping term, which means it keeps a ledger. Agape love doesn't keep a ledger of people's wrongdoings. You don't write it down. A ledger may be good for business because it's permanent, but a ledger is horrible for relationships. And we don't keep records of wrong. I had a couple that came to me for counseling many, many years ago. Sat down in front of me. He says, I don't know why I'm here. And she said, you don't know why you're here? He says, no. She said, 20 years ago, you said. I'm like, what? Wow. It never keeps a record of wrongs. But it freely forgives those hurts and those pains. Agape love is sanctified in truth. It rejoices in the truth. Last week, we talked about objective, authoritative, absolute truth. Let me tell you what it doesn't do. Agape love does not deny truth. Agape love does not distort the truth. Agape love does not delight in depraved thoughts and actions. Agape love always tells the truth. Now that's hard. But if I really love someone, I'm going to tell them the truth. Because they need to know what God's word says and the freedom that comes with obeying his word. Lastly, agape love is steadfast. It bears all things. That word there in the Greek is really interesting. It means to cover. It's not to cover up someone's sin, but here's what it means. It bears and it, pretend, it provides a covering for people who have fallen in sin. And not that it covers their sin, but what it does is it protects them in their fallenness. In other words, it keeps them from suffering any more than they have to suffer because of their fallenness. And instead of ridiculing and attacking them, it recognizes it, but it bears them up and protects them so that they can be restored. That's what it does. We don't accuse each other. We don't tear each other down. We recognize our own failures and we help each other through those failures for the glory of God. It believes all things. It means it trusts in the grace of God in people's lives. It hopes all things. It never gives up on people in circumstances, and it endures all things. The word endure literally means it's a picture of a soldier who refuses to leave his post, but will stay there to the end. Love stays to the end, no matter how hard it is, no matter how challenging it is, no matter how difficult it is. Agape love always endures. So here's the thing. In this culture that we're living in today, much is said about love, but it's not God's love. You see, what we need to understand is we are to demonstrate agape love in our lives by mimicking the very nature of God. 
And church, if there's ever a time for us to stand up on the truth and to love people for their highest good, to model this kind of love and blows the world away because they don't see that day to day. But it not only gives us the opportunity to demonstrate that, but listen, we have the opportunity to declare it. You know who lived this perfectly? Jesus modeled it perfectly. In every single way of his life, he demonstrated perfect love in every one of these circumstances. And he never failed in any aspect of agape love. And we see the demonstration of that through the life of Christ. But we see the great declaration from the Father on the cross. God has demonstrated this love to you and me. Because we deserve none of it. Yet when Jesus went to the cross, he demonstrated God's agape love. And the Father demonstrated from heaven that this is what we need. We need this kind of love for redemption. We need this kind of love for freedom. We need this kind of love in our lives. And we need this kind of love in the world. If you're here today and you're not a believer, my friend, the greatest demonstration of love that God has for you is his son. On the cross, dying, resurrected, so that you might be forgiven and have life. Believer, this is the kind of love we need. In our families, what would happen if our families demonstrated this kind of love to one another? In our communities, what would happen if we demonstrate this kind of love outside of the church? What would happen if we modeled the very character of God every single day and we modeled the incredibly deep love of Jesus for people? They still ridicule you. They may still condemn us. But what they need to see is an unshakable love that has parameters and boundaries in the nature of a holy God. And it's on the cross that God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us on the cross. I want to pray for you. Then we're going to stand together and we're going to sing a closing song, Love Ran Red, because it's a demonstration of God's love for us. Would you stand together, please? Father, we thank you for the truth of your word this morning, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would take it and work it deep within our hearts and our lives. And Father, that you would be blessed as we demonstrate your very nature to a world that needs to be loved. But Father, may we do so within the contents of your word and the parameters of your own character. And Father, may we never be afraid to speak the truth about love. Nor should we ever be negligent to demonstrate the character of agape love. May this be the demonstration of our love for the Lord Jesus. As we model his love for a world. And Father, as we leave here today, may we always be reminded of your perfect love that it casts out fear. 
that your love covers a multitude of sins, that you so loved the world that you gave your only son for each of us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If this message blessed you and you now have a desire to follow Jesus, I encourage you to go to scottshill.org slash next steps so that we can follow up with you. Also, if you like the message, feel free to share it on social media with your friends and family. God bless.